Now, as we proceed through the subject matter of the portions of the armor of God, I am simultaneously deconstructing what each piece is and what it does, and then we look at the environments in which it's supposed to function, always with an eye toward how it defeats the devil, because that's really what it says. So when we talked the last time about the breastplate of righteousness, we spoke of a heart that judges all things, that is itself not subject to judgment, and among those who may be judged by a righteous heart is the prince of this world. Satan himself, prince of the cosmos, and and it echoes the words of Jesus, for the prince of this world now stands condemned. If, unlike that has been taught, that we are always having to defend ourselves against Satan, if you change it around to see it the way it actually is, and Satan is in your court, subject to your jurisdiction for the review of his actions, that changes the battle altogether, because your decrees will destroy the things that he has created that entraps people who are in your domain. You don't destroy all of what Satan has done all over the world and historically, no, but you may drive him out of your domain. You may. And that's to destroy the works of the devil within your domain. Eventually, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ will call him into judgment and destroy him, not just his works, but destroy him. We have not been given the authority to destroy Satan himself. He will be here for all that has been prophesied that he will do and be, but within our domains, within what we have been empowered by God over which to rule, we may drive him out and keep him out, and that is to destroy the works of the devil within the limited sphere of what we have been given. Do you understand that even these messages are driving out the darkness, bringing in the light, showing us the power of these particular provisions of God's might and power that have been given to us? When you judge things by eternal standards, your judgments are going to last. When you judge things righteously, there is no appeal to your judgment. God Himself honors the judgment of the Elohim who act righteously, consistent with their mandate. Let's move on. And having shod your feet, with the preparation 
of the gospel of peace, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. If you look at the word shod, it's the Greek word hupodeo, H-U-P-O-D-E-O, hupodeo. It means to bind under your feet as you would tie sandals to your feet. So to bind under your feet uh, the preparation of the gospel, having your feet shod with the preparation which is the term hetomasia, H-E-T-O-I-M-A-Z-O, hetomazio, which is to prepare or having been prepared. So having your feet shod with the preparation and then the gospel of peace. So three things I want to focus on here for the sake of understanding what this means and then we will look at the applications in spiritual warfare, which is uh, how how they allow us to rule over Satan. Look, when you are clothed in the mighty strength of God, which is what the depiction of the armor of God in all of its particular parts is about the mighty strength of God engaged against the enemy. And the outcome is routinely the same in every aspect of the armor, highlighting another, yet another way we may confidently rule over Satan within our domains, personally, within ourselves, and within any sphere or measure of rule that we have been given. So the three things I want to focus on, uh, the shodding of your feet with the preparation and with the gospel of peace. As I've said, the word hupodeo means to shod and it means to bind it, to tie it securely. And it, of course, the analogy is to combat sandals. And you would tie it securely so that it would not come loose in the battle and that it would not then impede your steps. And it is your feet that are to be shod with this preparation so there is a time of preparing You grow up in the thing, you're prepared uh, with the gospel of peace. And then, so the third element is the gospel of peace. Having your feet shod, binding your feet. Your feet, you see, is the first part of your body that touches the ground when you're walking and the first part of your foot that touches the ground when you're walking is your heel. So we walk heel to toe, heel to toe. It's our motion of walking. Now there is an enemy 
who is compared to a snake in the grass. He comes early into the garden as a serpent in the grass. And he's analogized after that to a serpent who strikes the heel of the sun. This is in Genesis chapter 3 when God speaks to Eve and to Adam and to the serpent. And concerning uh, the serpent and the offspring of Eve, it was said to the serpent that the serpent would bite his heel, but that the offspring of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. So it sets up this mental picture that is very much an idyll of spiritual warfare. One walking in a field, heel to toe, serpent in the grass, who looks for advantage to strike the heel. But the end of the battle is where perhaps with the same heel that was struck, the sun crushes the head of the serpent. And here you have the juxtaposition of heel and head. Heel and head, the head being the highest order of, of the being, the foot being the lowest order of another being, and the foot upon the head is the picture of having reduced the enemy to powerlessness in in an abased and humiliated posture. That's that's an incredible picture. And if you transpose this picture into the environment of spiritual warfare, it speaks of thorough and utter victory. Paul leaves us with no doubt that this is the visual analogy that should guide our understanding of what is the outcome or what ought be the outcome when we engage the enemy. In the very end of the book of Romans he says, be excellent at what is good and be innocent of evil, that would be a descriptor of a righteous heart, and the God of peace shall soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Now we are the body of Christ, Christ took the hit for us, walking through this world, encountering the devil. It was not because of carelessness that the enemy was able to strike his heel. 
It was not that he was unaware of the presence of the evil one, it was to undo what the evil one had done, to annul the gains against humanity that the evil one had achieved from the Garden of Eden, where he did bite man and the power of his venom effectively separated the man from his father, the man and the woman, from his father. Reconciliation between God and man then would not be possible until Christ. So lasting is the sting of this venom and so destructive that it disrupted the family of God. Adam was the son of God and it actually set up spiritual warfare from that time at the beginning of time and makes it such that the end of time, the end of the age, is when the final crushing of the head of the serpent, the disallowing of his very being, after having destroyed the efficacy of his works, had come about. So first the works of the devil will be destroyed and ultimately the devil himself is slated for bound over for destruction and all his angels with him. So spiritual, the outcome of spiritual warfare, first of all it is notable that spiritual warfare is a progression with a final outcome where the enemy himself is destroyed. Along the way, the enemy created all kinds of entrapments, they're called systems, we referenced them earlier, systems of the cosmos. They're all based in lies and deception. But the cunning nature of the enemy's lies is that they masquerade well as the truth to the human soul, to the human soul. It is important to note that discernment is a gift of the human gift of the spirit of God to the human spirit. It's an adornment of the human spirit. It is not native to the human soul. Your soul doesn't discern. Your soul obeys. Your spirit discerns because your spirit has the Holy Spirit and discernment is a gift of the Holy Spirit. So you can distinguish between the highly appealing lies of the evil one which are the cornerstone of his kingdom, which is why his kingdom is defined as a kingdom of darkness. Light, light, is what comes when God illuminates a matter. Darkness is what remains when the enemy has established hegemonic dominion over 
human perceptions. One of the things we know is true, that when you stand, often when you stand facing certain situations, it seems very bleak, very dark, when you're looking at it from some distance, as you approach it. There are nights when you may toss and turn in your sleep because of what lies ahead for you in the day. And the things of the, of, that you're anticipating coming forth in the daylight loom monstrously in the darkness of night and in the environment of near slumber, so much so as to actually rob you of slumber. But when you actually walk up upon these things in the light of day, you will typically find that what you did not have in the disquieting darkness of night and of sleep now comes, now emerges out of the darkness and stands with you. The soul has no capacity to reach beyond the limitations of emotions and reason, but the Spirit has the fellowship of the Holy Spirit who brings out of the storehouse of God's grace and goodness what is needed in the moment. That's why often we don't have ahead of time what we need to engage the day's activities, but in the moment it is given to us as we need. So we, we tie to our feet the preparation of the gospel of peace. There is a preparation. We should, <clears throat> we should give ourselves routinely to the word of the Lord and to prayer. Listening to me speak to you, it is quite evident that I am not unfamiliar with the scriptures and indeed I'm not. At the age of 70, I have spent better than 55 years studying the Word, going over it and over it and over it again. And things I used to know in my youth or even in my middle age, have taken on tremendous depth and weight and the power in these words have come to me in new and fresh ways the older I get. It's astonishing to me how much I see at this age. You would think that the mind begins to slow down the older you get, but not when it comes to the truth. 
Yes, there are facts I don't remember that I once knew. And there are lots of things I can't do or don't wish to do at 70 that I used to do without thinking in my 20s and 30s, 40s. But that's most of what is lost to me are physical capabilities. But wisdom, insight, revelation, none of that is lost to my mind, to the mind of my spirit, and in fact even more so. Now, it may not be apparent to you, but I speak these deep things to you, hour after hour after hour, and other than the notes to remind me of what Greek words mean and where they occur, I'm talking to you out of my spirit. That's why I look into the camera, you rarely ever see me look down uh, toward these notes, and if I hold the notes up to you, I don't know that you can see them, but they're all Greek words and passages of Scripture that I need to remember, but I know what they say and I know what they mean and I know how how they should be applied, but more than all of that, there's an obvious power to what I'm saying. We're talking about holding the enemy uh, to account. We're, We're pushing open the heavens regarding understanding of spiritual warfare, breaking ground, new ground, introducing thoughts that have never been even that have not been articulated before. Now I understand that God saved those things for now. I didn't know these things when I was in my youth or even in my middle age. God reserved them for a time when I could handle them with maturity and seasoned grace. And they're new things, they're very new things, they're not what we have always known. So having your feet shod, tied to your feet, this gospel, the preparation, so you're prepared over a lifetime, however long, with the gospel of peace. Now, the gospel of peace is destined to crush the head of the serpent, which is what we've been talking about. What is the gospel of peace, the good news of peace? Focus on the word peace for a moment. Peace is, in the Hebrew, it is the word shin, the four characteristics, shin, lamed, wa, and mem. Shin, lamed, wa, and mem. It's the word for peace. And it means to destroy the authority that establishes disorder. It's a military term. The word pacification is not one 
of quiet acquiescence. It means to degrade the enemy's ability to resist you. That's the military term pacification. So when a military operation is, take, is undertaken, the, power, the more powerful of the two sides will go in and the first thing to do in an invasion is to destroy the enemy's command and control centers so they cannot message each other and coordinate their efforts against you. And then you move in removing layer by layer the effectiveness of the enemy's ability to resist, destroying assets, military assets that prevent it from having capabilities of fighting back effectively and then ultimately reducing them to the position of being compelled to surrender without condition, to destroy the authority that establishes disorder. For this reason, the Apostle John tells us in 1 John chapter 3, for this reason the Son of God was revealed to destroy the works of the devil. He's called the Prince of Peace because he is the mighty warrior, because he is the sovereign king, not a 35-year-old or 33-year-old soft-spoken guy that you could push around and talk out of anything because he has no spine. He's the warlord, he's the ultimate lord of war. He's capable of destroying any opposition to his rule. This is the gospel of peace. Yes. The gospel of peace to subjugate utterly, to render powerless, to render incapable of resisting to strategically dismantle every military asset of the enemy so he has no ability to resist you and must surrender. The God of peace shall soon crush Satan. Does it not seem like a dichotomy to you that he's called the God of peace and yet his action is that of crushing the head of the serpent? In the present gospel of appeasement, in the present gospel of accommodation, making room for what is not true, giving it equal status with what is true, this is not the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace recognizes that the enemy's claim is fraudulent and moves to dismantle all of his operations within your domain. So this, your feet tied up with this gospel of peace for which you have been prepared, when it comes the time you're able to absolutely shatter 
the mind of the enemy within your domain so he can offer you no resistance. When you crush the head, you destroy the mind. Destroy the mind, the enemy is not an enemy anymore. Spiritual warfare is not about defensive action. It's about the mighty power of the Prince of Peace to establish over the earth his hegemonic domain, for the whole earth is the Lord's and he has a right to take a people out of every tribe, tongue, language and nation. And the weaponry with which he does it is the gospel of peace in the consideration of the entire panoply of the armour of God. We'll continue our discussion of the armour of God the next time with and above all, which means it takes the priority. If you have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and you've previously put on the breastplate of righteousness and you started out, you gird your waist with the truth, then the shield of faith above all else will produce in the aggregate these results that are promised by every piece of this armament with which to engage the enemy. I'm Sam Solon and we'll talk again then. God bless you. Bye-bye.